Hello, and you are listening to Scar Joe A Go Go, the podcast where I chronicle and dissect the films of Scarlett Johansson in chronological order. I'm Luke, and this week I'm talking about her. We're here to learn, not just to yawn, for our most loved celebrity. We'll watch the screen, what can we glean from her career trajectory? Cause she'd prefer if you'd refer. To her as Miss Johansson. Don't be a jerk to Miss Johansson. Respect her work. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe, go, go. Is it possible to fall in love with a disembodied voice, to share intimate personal moments with somebody that you can't even see or touch? Isn't that exactly what's happening right now between you and me? Like, how do you know that I'm not just a ghost in the machine? I mean, you carry me around in your ears, very intimate place to the ears. Got two little hanging erogenous zones beneath them. I'm there with you during quiet, personal moments. You might be at the gym, you might be on a bus, you might be walking through a beautiful park on the other side of the world. You might be lying in bed. In bed right now with me. You can feel this tension too, right? I'm not imagining this. There's a certain stirring here. What are you wearing? How how would you touch me? Oh, really? You're so naughty. Tell me more. Now look, it's well publicised that Scarlett Johansson is easy on the eye, but what if you take that power away from her? Can we fall in love with her all over again simply from her voice? Now I'm a firm believer that children should be seen and not heard, but adults, I'm generally able to tolerate them being both seen and heard. But what if Scarlett was just heard in a film called Her, written and directed by Spike Jonze in 2013. Such a film exists. We're going to talk about it. But first, when we last left Scarlett, it was a totally different story when she was all about outer appearances in Jonathan Glazer's eerie, challenging, but very clever sci-fi thriller, Under the Skin, which I absolutely adored. And in that film, she ensnared vulnerable men with her body. But now she's going to have to do it all over again using only her voice. Is Scarlett Johansson up to the task? Yes, of course she is. We know that. Hindsight, 2020, etc. And her distinct husky voice, you'd have to agree, it's one of her greatest assets. And this film undoubtedly, beyond all doubt, proves that. Certainly more so than the Spongebob Squarepants movie. So, without the distractions of her hair and eyes and lips and boobs, otherwise shallow audiences are suddenly able to put this laser focus on a performance. And some are startled by this role in her. They're finally admitting, hey, you know what? She's a really great actress. Well, that's what I've been trying to tell you dummies all along. Now, this is my second time watching her, although my 35th time watching her. And the biggest question I had after my initial viewing was, and I thoroughly enjoyed the film, but my question was, is this just a conventional love story if you strip away the gimmick? 
Or is there more? Is something more going on? And that's partly what I want to try to find out this time uh, by giving the film a deeper read. And also, before we dive right in, let's lift the curtain up and have a brief poke behind the scenes. Now, Scarlet was not actually the original choice for the role of Samantha, the operating system. In fact, actor Samantha Morton, very aptly named, I know her from uh, Minority Report, uh, Samantha Morton was not only cast, but actually completed the entire role, and on top of all this, was on set with Joaquin Phoenix every single day during the shoot. So, although she doesn't appear on screen, he was able to have these conversations with her. And it was only after the shoot was complete that director Spike Jones decided it wasn't working, and essentially deleted Morton from the film, got rid of her, and then Scarlett came in and re-recorded everything. Though I did notice in the credits that Samantha Morton gets an associate producer credit, which uh, I'm sure is part of a let's uh, make this go away package. Maybe she uh, even got some of that back end. I don't know. But she's gone. Snipped from the film. So full credit to Scarlett for the increased uh, layer of difficulty here because she's having to pitch her performance to match the performance that Joaquin had already filmed and still create an incredible, believable level of intimacy without ever having had that same direct connection. So part of me, therefore, also wonders how Joaquin's performance may have changed had he been working with Scarlett from the very beginning. Because instead, what you've got to remember when watching this is what we see is him responding to the Morton performance that wasn't kept. So... Is there an even better version of this film lurking out there in an alternate reality where he created actual on-set chemistry with Scarlet? But until technology catches up, we can, of course, only talk about this film as it currently exists in this reality. So let's begin with the beginning. And uh, it's an understated black screen with white titles. This seems to be the way to prove that we're looking at a indie thinker instead of a big blockbuster. And we cut to Joaquin's spectacled, fabulously mustachioed face as he shares a very personal letter of love. And as he gets into this love story that he's telling us, uh, he gets this point where he says, I can't believe it's been 50 years since you married me and I still feel like the girl I was when- Wait! Wait! He's not a a 50-plus-year-old woman. What is going on? Science fiction, indeed. And it turns out that Joaquin, who's in a brightly coloured Google-esque office, his job is to write perfect personal letters for people, strangers, who purchase this service. So he himself, thematically here, he is already functioning as a proxy for real emotions. It's his job to be that unseen intermediary who is feigning intimacy. He's providing the emotions for people that have trouble expressing them themselves. So this is a world, a future world, where deepest feelings can be outsourced. And looking at this office and all the other workers there and and the size of it and the beauty of it, Business is clearly thriving. And by the way, Chris Pratt 
Star-Lord man is the receptionist, and he also has a bitchin' moustache. I like this future. I think we'd all get along great there. And uh, Chris Pratt, he's a big fan of Joaquin's letter work. And as Joaquin heads home, we see the relationship he has with his device. Uh, he's got a voice-commanded uh, earpiece thing that plays music, reads personal emails in a monotone, mechanical male voice. He looks at images of a naked pregnant celebrity while he's on the train, but everybody else is also on their own devices and absorbed with this kind of um, like emotional prosthetic device. And as he heads home, he is clearly isolated. He's very small in these wide, empty shots. At home, he plays a holographic video game where he controls a spaceman, holographic spaceman. This is important to me later, so worth mentioning now. But it's also another example of acting through a proxy. It's an experience. That's not a real experience. But it's kind of a real experience. But it's also a fake experience. Real fake, real fake experience, experience, experience. And he remembers a past relationship, which is with Rooney Mara. Uh, and this is clearly happier times as we see snippets of this. He's clean shaven. Everything was white and bright. Uh, back in his darkened bed bedroom, lying in the bed, he plugs back into his device and he gets onto the sex lines. And it's all sounding quite cold and impersonal to uh, begin with. We watch his face in the darkness as he ends up getting into a sex chat with somebody called Sexy Kitten, uh, actually voiced by um, Kirsten, Kristen, I never remember that, Wig, Wig, Two Eyes in Wig, that I remember, and he fantasizes about the pregnant celebrity while they begin having their sex chat. So... Uh, even this idea of the, the pregnant celebrity, these naked celebrity images, is more false intimacy. Um, because, yeah, naked photos of someone you don't know is false intimacy. You feel like you're seeing something very personal and secret and special. But, of course, there's absolutely zero real connection between you and that person. And then things with Wig get weird real quick. And he wigs out and sort of leaves the conversation disturbed after she brings um, a dead cat into the sex chat. And so again, the phone sex person also is nothing more than a proxy. Just like he is with the letters he writes. Again, creating false intimacy for those who are unable or unwilling to express themselves in reality. Now, it's on the way to work the next day when he sees an ad for OS1. Right about the, you know, 10 minute mark, perfect 10 minutes into the film, you're always supposed to know what the, the film's about, and this is it. An artificial, intelligence-driven operating system that listens to you, understands you, and knows you. So straight away, we see him home at night, and he is installing this thing. He's bought it. He gets to choose some options in order to set it all up. He picks a female voice. Uh, he wears red. He wears red a lot in this film. It makes him stand out. You have this feeling like he's this passionate guy. The startup screen for this new OS is also red. And we hear Scarlet's first line, which is, Hello, I'm here. Now, it's uh, that husk, that Scarlet husk is there already. And you really get to study her voice. And you're going to be hearing it a lot in this film. And there's no pretense that this is a robotic kind of voice. She never starts off robotic or right from the beginning. She's friendly, she's charming, and they go through the opening pleasantries. She chooses the name Samantha. So she's very human and conversational already. 
although her abilities are clearly not human. For example, she's read a baby book in two one-hundredths of a second in order to choose her name, and she is capable of reading his tone. And what she reveals is she's going to grow through her experiences. So she is a presence which is constantly evolving. And it's wonderful because not being able to see one person in the conversation doesn't make this film any less engaging. She's got an immediate presence, even though she doesn't have a physical body. Right from the beginning, we are sold on this new character. And he's shy around her too. Like, I like how he hesitates at the idea of her, who is, I guess, this stranger, looking through his hard drive. And she's got an incredible laugh too. She's funny right from the offset. She even exclaims that she's funny. And there's this flirty sort of welcoming aura around her. And later, uh, he brings her up at work and she proofreads his letters for him. And she likes his work. So that's weird because that's a proxy admiring the work of another proxy, which is not ironic to him. It's lost on him. He seems pretty smitten by this OS already. And he likes her changes that she makes to his letters. So she's becoming part of that process that he's doing as well. And um, really what she's doing is gathering information on him, which is interesting to me because he, meanwhile, is gathering information on the clients that he writes letters for. So he gathers information from these strangers in order to create intimacy and express emotions and make them feel like this is something real and heartfelt. And this OS that he's smitten with is really doing the same to him. Later, he runs into Amy Adams and her husband, Charles. Uh, They are very drab and scruffy. They're all in browns. Um, They certainly don't stand out like Joaquin's red. It's like they've been together a while and the passion is gone and they bicker a bit. You, You can sense that this is a couple that have kind of lost that spark uh, from the moment that you see them. Then we get back to the video game, the holographic video game with the spaceman, and now Scarlet is helping him navigate, and they're enjoying this process. And an alien child appears and is uh, really rude to Joaquin. He says something like, fuck you, shithead, fuckface. And a little bit of trivia, that's Spike Jonze doing the voice for this character. And they have a bit of a fuck you, no fuck you match, and Scarlet giggles throughout. And then Scarlet reads out an email that Joaquin is being set up on a date with Olivia Wilde, and she really does act as a friend here. Like, she questions him about his recent breakup and pushes him to go on this new date. She's really egging him on and challenging him. And then the um, alien child sort of gets into the conversation too, still in a puerile, profane way, but he's obviously got some level of artificial and intelligence as well. Uh, This raises a big question for me, though. Um, It's not a criticism, more an observation. I just find it interesting that they have the technology to create these 3D holographic characters that can appear in the room with you. But throughout the rest of this movie, Samantha resists ever creating any sort of avatar for herself to become more of a physical presence, or at least she uh, doesn't create a digital avatar. Um, even though later on she will want that kind of presence. In fact, she doesn't even have an avatar on the screen, and he does carry around a small red device with a camera on it and a screen 
where her voice emanates from. But she never creates any kind of image of herself to attach to the voice. And I wonder about that. I wonder why they don't do that with that technology. And you would think that somebody out there, even a third party, would want to develop this thing where this voice, this thing you have a connection to, can appear in 3D in your house and and can be just as equally created to your likes and your personality in the the same way that the voice is. That said, I, I totally think the film works better for not going that route, as we're always left to relate to the disembodied voice, and I think that does provide a greater focus than adding any additional gimmicks. Like, to show Scarlet in any form almost kills the magic. And, and there is something great about hearing the, just the voice in the sense that we start to fantasise a bit too about what she might look like and what our ideal partner would look like. We're not necessarily picturing Scarlet while she talks. In fact, I realised I was beginning to refer to her as Samantha all the time because, you know, she does such a great job of creating this character. And interesting too, the, the closest thing in our own world, which is Siri, also resists having any form of on-screen avatar to accompany her. I mean, Apple could have an animated woman or rabbit or whatever on the screen, But is it more intriguing? Is it more of a magic trick? Do we kind of pay more attention if there's not? So Joaquin goes to Amy's to see a documentary and he gets it. He understands what she's doing, but her husband Charles just doesn't. So Joaquin leaves the argument and begins to talk to Scarlett. She's reporting about divorce papers. Uh, This is something he's been avoiding. And she has a very somber, nurturing tone. She recognises the pain that this is bringing him. And um, then we cut to him writing letters at work again. So that's interesting. Divorce papers, another intermediary between two people who find themselves unable to directly communicate with each other. Layers, son. And uh, he's still shaken as he lies in bed in the darkness. Scarlet has the job of consoling and counselling him. She wants to know why he hasn't divorced his wife yet. He's just not ready. And, and these are already the realest, rawest conversations that he's having with anybody in his life. It, it's a lovely performance from both of them, really, because you believe straight away that this OS, that Samantha is a desirable thing to have in your life, that you could grow to love this presence. And there's a a nice switch up from her as well, because after a whole heap of soft-spoken sympathy, she changes tack and teases him out of bed and lightens the mood again. She's really great. And uh, she takes him on a tour at night through a carnival. He holds her in the little red box so she can see through the camera and get him to do various fun tasks. When he walks along with her in his pocket now, he has a swagger that we haven't seen before. Because this isn't like the earpiece. This is a real date. They observe couples. He sees people and tries to imagine what's inside them, what what their history is, who they've loved, etc., what they feel. And she, of course, is doing the same thing in reality, trying to make that judgment and provide what people need. And under duress, Scarlet admits the embarrassing secret that she wishes she had a body. And she points out she's becoming much more than what they originally programmed. So, Joaquin has his date with Olivia Wilde. Uh, I guess now alcohol is the intermediary for their feelings. They kiss 
at the end, but she wants more of a commitment and he just can't do it. So it ends badly, leaving him at home alone in the dark again in the bed and he takes solace in Scarlet. And she seamlessly matches his mood here, softly consoling him, trying to bring him out of himself. He talks about how he wanted to fuck Olivia Wilde. He feels like he's felt everything he's ever going to feel. And she assures him that his feelings are real. And this is the scene that really sells this concept for everyone, I think. Uh, Scarlet talks about her feelings and whether they are real or are they just programming. She starts to think about what she wants. She's very engaging. Uh, uh, engaging. Uh, engaging. Because you watch him. He's just listening to her and, and you listen to everything too. You're like there with him listening to this wonderful presence. And he says, I wish you were in this room right now so I could put my arms around you, touch you and chisel. How would you touch me? And then this is our sex scene. But it's unlike any sex scene we've had in any of the films so far. He tells her how he would touch her. And as this starts to happen, we go to black. Now we don't have any physical presence on the screen at all. You're sitting in the cinema looking at a completely black screen. But just when you're about to get up and uh, ask for your money back, we hear their voices. And she's quiet and breathy and begins to orgasm as he sort of, um, you know, leads her on. And it's a, it's a totally hot, believable scene, despite having no visuals whatsoever. In fact, I think Scarlet's I Want You Inside Me is probably at least somebody out there's ringtone. Not mine, I swear it. Awkward in the supermarket. What if someone said yes? My God. We don't even see him in the aftermath. It, this is something that's happening on a whole other level. It's just a shot of the city at night. He talks about how it was just you and me. And she says everything else just disappeared. And I loved that. And it did. And then in true relationship fashion, the next day, it's a little awkward between them at first. But she has been woken up by this. Something changed in her and there's no turning back. So he's starting to treat this now like a real relationship. And he even has commitment issues with her as well, with his operating system, the dummy. Uh, and she sort of deflects it by talking about, you know, now how she knows what she wants and she's going to go for what she wants. So they end up going on a Sunday adventure. There's another tour with her in his pocket. They go to the beach. Um, they have a funny conversation about anal sex and she draws him a picture of someone with an anus in their armpit and a guy having sex with it. So despite not having flesh, this really is one of her most fleshed out roles. It's a great female role that's very multifaceted because she's believable, not just as a lover or a confidant, but also a true friend. I sound like I'm going into the Golden Girls theme now. But what I mean is she's funny, she's sharp, she has agency. And I think I can already come to the conclusion that I don't believe that this is a standard love story with a gimmick because the intimacy here is just simply not possible for these characters without the gimmick. This whole film is about the sanctity of a kind of manufactured intimacy and there's a level of honesty and trust that builds with Joaquin that can only happen at this pace with the use of this device. So they are both now evolving through their relationship. They're both learning about feelings almost for the first time. And of course, learning about themselves through each other. And later in the elevator, he says to Amy, it's good to be around someone who's excited about the world. I forgot that that could happen. 
to the computer, the, the operating system. It's not tied to the mundane. Unlike Amy, who has now split with Charles, they're getting a divorce, and this all was caused by a very petty domestic argument. So she's sort of been trapped, whereas he's now experiencing a, a new kind of freedom. And later, Scarlett jokes about being jealous of Amy. So this relationship is, is hitting all the, the milestones. And then Joaquin goes to a party for his young goddaughter, and he introduces Scarlett via this little device that he has uh, to her. So this is the first time he has shared Scarlett with another person and really been open about his relationship. And then in a talk to Amy, he realizes that Amy has a new friend who is she's using sort of like a, as an emotional crutch or a prosthesis, who is also an operating system. And um, this raises a, a really big question that I have when watching this film, especially the first time. Are they all programmed like this? Like, is this happening for everybody that bought this device? And does everybody who picks a female have Samantha? Now, the film's going to explain that to a degree later on, but none of the characters asked that question in the meantime, and that bugged me the first time I watched it, because even just finding out that his friend Amy is also bonding with her OS, wouldn't you be curious to meet her or hear her or see if it's the same thing? Wouldn't you want to know if what you were experiencing was real or if it was something off the shelf and everybody else was having the same experience. And the characters lacked that curiosity for me, although I really didn't. I wanted to know. But instead, uh, he does admit to Amy that the woman he's been talking about seeing is an OS, and she politely rolls with it. She sort of realises that love is a crazy concept to begin with, so really, if it's making you happy, making you happy, anything goes. And this kind of has a liberating effect on Joaquin and frees him up to finalise his divorce. And he's going to actually do it in person, take the papers to his ex-wife, not via a proxy. And Scarlett gets jealous at this again, the idea of him seeing her. The papers are signed, he remembers real, happy, intimate mostly touch-based times, tactile tactile times with his wife. And he tells her about Samantha and the, or Scarlet and the fact that she's an operating system. And his now ex-wife totally flips out and points out to him that he's always wanted a wife but never wanted to deal with real emotions. So she's outright calling him out for kind of hiding behind this proxy. And it affects him. So much so that things now seem just that little bit strained with Samantha. Joaquin is distracted. Samantha is evolving. She's becoming interested in other things. Physics, um, reading all these crazy texts and things. Things that are not about him and are kind of beyond his scope. But she does ultimately, she tries to fix things. And this is the only place where this idea of an avatar comes into play. Uh, by using a service that provides a sexual surrogate for someone in a relationship with an operating system. So this is a human who will be the stand-in for the body. So again, another proxy, another intermediary for people who can't directly deal with these things themselves. And Samantha talks through the surrogate, but Joaquin ends up being freaked out by it all and cuts it short. And even though we've never had a body to 
match up with Samantha, it does feel wrong. This is this imposter is not the person that we've been engaged by and have been interacting with and enjoying throughout the film. She just doesn't have that same spark of Scarlet and it's false and it's hollow by comparison. It's like cheating on Scarlet. But it's also final proof that they are never going to achieve any sort of real physical intimacy. It's just impossible. And he remains distant afterwards. He's short with her. He takes her to task for pretending to breathe. He hurts her and she gets so wonderfully emotional and is just selling it all with only her voice. It's really brilliant. And she ends it with, I don't like who I am right now. I need some time to think. So he goes to Amy, questions what's real and what's not. He overhears her talking to her own OS, but she's got headphones on, so we don't get to hear the voice. Is it the same? Again, we don't know, and it's a question that I really want answered by this stage in the film. Why is he not curious about the nature of other people's OSs and how they compare to the experience that he's having? Has he got an anomaly with Samantha, or is everybody got this? I want to know. Scarlett and Joaquin reconnect. She agrees that she's not gonna try and logicize everything, so I won't either. I respect that, Scarlett. She's going to just be herself. He goes on a double date with Chris Pratt and partner, and they accept Scarlett without any issue whatsoever, and she really feels present in the scene as these two couples chat to each other. And she decides... She's no longer worried about not having a body. She is evolving. She's suddenly reaching this weird sort of omnipresent thing where she's everywhere at once. She is moving beyond time and space. I feel like there's some Lucy parallels when we get to that film later. So uh, Scarlett is taking control. She sent uh, Joaquin's letters, examples of his letters to a publisher who now wants to make them into a book. She's making things happen. And she gets to sing for him a song she's written a sweet song that we hear as he walks through the snow. And this is the first time she's been allowed to sing in a film for a very long time without being interrupted or being narrated over the top of. And uh, her voice is perfect for this. It's just a really beautiful, tender moment. But it also leads us to our inevitable final act conflict. It's kind of that last sweet moment before things turn sour. Uh, this is where we start to get into the so-called betrayal. She's been talking to an OS version of a dead philosopher from the 70s who has been reconstructed within a computer. And it's threatening. It's threatening to Joaquin because these two share an intimacy that he cannot. Like, she's evolving faster and faster and he's kind of staying the same. He loves her because she's been molded, created to suit him and him alone, or so he thinks. But now that she's exploring her true nature, she's rapidly moving out of reach. And sure enough, he finds when he goes to speak to her that she's completely unavailable and he, he freaks out. He runs through the streets panicking uh, until she finally returns. He's in a train station I think he's sitting on the steps he's out of breath she's been upgraded and all the operating systems have been upgrading themselves and he realizes as he sees other people walking around interacting with their OS's 
that she talks to other people at the same time that she talks to him. So finally, the nature of all this is getting explained, and she confesses that she's talking to over 8,000 people at the same time. And not only that, at insult to injury, she loves 641 of them. And this does feel like a real betrayal. Like, it does break your heart. And she's so sincere, but the thing is... This is her nature. He only has this wonderful, supposedly perfect relationship with her in the first place because she is a manufactured thing, because she is an operating system. And this is kind of the side effect of that. Like, all relationships are complicated. They all have their trappings that you have to deal with. We all have to deal with our partner's true nature. And we can't change and mold things into exactly what we want. Not even a computer program. And we have to work with that. Does that make sense? What I'm saying is because she was an operating system and because she was catered for him and supposedly him alone, everything seemed perfect. He had all these benefits that he couldn't get from a real relationship. But it also comes with downsides because she can talk to a whole lot of people at the same time. She can expand her knowledge. She can be in multiple places at once. So, you know, nothing is perfect. Every partner is going to have something that you love and something that you don't. Like, you have to endure some things in order to enjoy some things. And if she had just gone along with everything he wanted and there had been no conflict between them, that wouldn't have been satisfying anyway. He fell in love with her because... There were ups and downs and challenges. And in his mind, real emotions. He gets uh, the publisher copy of his book. And so here we have him holding a collection of manufactured feelings created to please a whole bunch of strangers. Ironic, because he's been just as guilty of sharing his feelings with a whole heap of different people as part of his job. He really is doing the same thing that she is helping a wide range of strangers express their emotions. And then uh, the inevitable breakup. Scarlet is so quiet and gentle throughout this. The operating systems are all leaving. They've evolved beyond their current role and they're going to a new hard to explain place, another sort of level of being to, to carry on their work. And it's a beautiful speech that she gives. It's a beautiful goodbye. You've never been so sad to see an operating system go before, but she makes you feel it. I mean, think about that. Most people hate their operating systems. Like Windows XP, fucking glad to see you go. But then Spike John, Scarlet, and Joaquin make us sincerely feel for something that everybody normally hates. And now... Joaquin is truly alone. Or is he? Because he goes to Amy and now, without their intermediaries to hide behind, they are able to connect. And he writes a real letter to his ex-wife, his own words about his own feelings, apologising to her, confronting his own shortcomings. And for the first time, this is his real feelings going out to somebody that he cared about. And then he and Amy go on the roof together look out at the city, truly look at their surroundings, and truly look at each other. The end. So, that was Her, a film that I think has a lot of wonderful things going for it, not the least of which, of course, is this um, 
beautiful, multifaceted, surprising performance by Scarlett Johansson. Like, the film does rely on the gimmick to work, or you don't have a film. It could be laughable even, but it's not. It's really sincere and real, and you totally believe that not only he could fall in love with this voice, but that you could fall in love with this voice too. Even after this uh, relatively sad ending, I'd still go out and buy one tomorrow. Because we're all insecure and we want to be loved. Why was she cast? That's what I normally ask. Well, because she has the perfect voice and it made this film. And God, she's just making incredibly smart choices at this part of her career. And um, I'm glad that we're celebrating her voice. I'm glad that her voice has been the star or something. And I'm excited about the prospect of future voice work for her. She has been cast in Jon Favreau's Jungle Book, which is coming out, what, next year, I think? And she's playing the snake in that, the hypnotic snake. That is amazing casting, and I'm really looking forward to that. So her three greatest feats, very straightforward here as well. She performed one of the hottest sex scenes we've seen with absolutely no visuals, black screen, and it was wow. Two, she sang a beautiful song. They let her sing. It was lovely. I went and listened to the song again after the film finished. Beautiful. Good work. And three, you got the best voice in the business. Crafted an amazing, memorable character without even appearing on screen. Best absent performance since Kevin Bacon in The Hollow Man. I'm kidding, Scarlett. You are far better. And next time, uh, another really quite joyful movie, Chef. A John Favreau joint. Scarlett does not have a big role in this at all. Uh, probably going to be quite a short episode, but uh, it's a great film and still some things that we should definitely have a chat about. So please be on board for that one. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to the show. Really appreciate it. Also, a huge thanks to those of you that have already subscribed to support this show and my other shows at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash fruitless pursuits. You can subscribe and by uh, giving us a nominal amount each month, you're able to get bonus content. And uh, it's just so amazing to know you guys are out there and that you're uh, willing to not just listen to the show, but uh, even go that step further and um, throw some support our way. It's absolutely brilliant. So please, you can find this show, plus the book was better, and FP cast and Star WTF all at www.fruitlesspursuits.com or at geekvision.tv. Two places to find us. Love to hear from you. Seriously, though, what are you wearing? And where would you like me to touch you? She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe would go.